listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. We are doing this post-trade deadline. This is always an exciting episode of the show. Yeah, to save your champagne for the official reset of the luxury tax, we pop it on on the the recording. Yeah, I'm actually going to... christen my new yacht um that i bought with all the the money i saved um with a <laughs> bottle of champagne so and I, i've named it uh under the tax um so it's a pretty nice vessel outstanding yes um all right so we have a lot of fun things to get to today as we review the trade deadline which was uh today at four o'clock so that's passed uh, quite a bit ago, um, one where the Toronto Blue Jays were extremely aggressive, uh, and the Red Sox did some things that we kind of hoped they'd do. They sold off some pieces. So we're going to review all of those moves, um, talk about the players who were sent out, what the returns were, um, and then we're going to uh, talk about some of the other implications to the roster. Um, We probably won't get super deep into the prospects. That'll probably be on uh, one of the other shows this week, but we will talk generally about these returns. And then we'll get to a bunch of listener questions. So we've got a full show. Um, let's get right into it, Keaton. Um, the first move I want to talk about is Kevin Pillar being sent to the Colorado Rockies for a player to be named later in international bonus pool money. Uh, reactions to that trade? Makes sense for the Red Sox. Uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense for the Rockies, but um, I think a lot of these were, well, I guess with the exception of Mitch Moreland and the Workman one, these were just kind of peripheral trades. Like uh, Pilar was having an, an all right season here with the Red Sox, but he wasn't in their long-term plans and he was only on a one-year deal. So it made sense that he'd get moved player to be named later. Sure. Why not bonus pool cash? Sure. Yeah, he seemed like a very obvious candidate to be moved. Um, I wasn't expecting a huge return for him. And and to be fair, we don't really know what the return is because they're not allowed to announce that yet. So we will have to wait and see there. But I was happy that they moved Kevin Pillar, um, somebody that we would have been shocked to to kind of see on this roster uh, at the end of this. And, And getting some more international bonus pool money is always a good thing for the Red Sox, who have been pretty successful at uh, scouting international players in the past. So that can only kind of help them out. Um, Left-handed pitcher Josh Osich was also sent to the Cubs for a player to be named later. Um, But it's worth noting, Keaton, that Osich is one of the guys that uh, Bloom claimed off of waivers waivers from the White Sox in October. Um, And since he's come up with the Sox, he's struck out 20 guys, walked five, um, and been pretty pretty tough on lefties. So this was uh, a success for Heim Bloom. Yeah, I would say so. 
Um, does it make sense for him? To, I mean, you pointed out his success against lefties. That makes a lot more sense for him to be on a team that could contend for a playoff spot and be that like that lefty guy, which obviously is not the Red Sox, um, who now do not have a left-handed pitcher in the bullpen. Or were some of the guys that came up? I actually didn't check before this. Yeah. I should have done that. But. <laughs> um, that is a good question. No, they have two because they have – no, they have three um, because they brought up Mike Kickham today as one of the roster moves we'll talk about a little bit later. But Josh Taylor is a lefty. You don't always think of him as a lefty because he's not really a situational guy. He plays against both sides. But then the ever-present sucky uh, Jeffrey Springs is also a lefty, which is easy to forget about. Yep. Both of those are very easy to forget. Yes. All right, let's get to a more exciting move here. Mitch Moreland um, was sent to Slam Diego um, for Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario. I was really happy with the return that the Red Sox were able to get for, uh, you know, this remaining month of Mitch Moreland playing great baseball and then, you know, for his affordable team option uh, next year for $3 bucks. This is a great get, I think. Two pretty solid prospects. Totally agree. It's a great move for San Diego and their win now. Uh, I love the piece. I really like Jason Rosario a lot. We've talked actually about him, you and I, on the Dynasty Child pod. I believe we're we're both believers in him and his ability as a J2 guy um, a couple years ago. Um, so I actually really like the return that they got. And then, of course, Moreland was only on a one-year deal, and they had um, Bobby Dahlbach waiting in the wings. Um, so as we talked about on the last podcast, it made sense that Moreland was going to get dealt in. Pretty good deal for both sides, and I definitely like the Red Sox return there. Yeah, Potts is an interesting guy to, um, you know, as a, as a third baseman slash first baseman who mashes. Um, doesn't have particularly high batting averages or OBPs, but certainly has a ton of power. But Jason Rosario, I agree with you, Keaton, is probably the more, more interesting of these two pieces because he kind of does everything well. The one thing that we're still waiting on with, with Rosario is for him to show a little bit more power, but... He looks like he could be a, you know, a first division regular in the outfield if a couple things click for him. And, you know, a, a lot of people might be thinking, like, why would the Padres trade these guys for Moreland? And, and I think it's kind of obvious based on what the Padres have done um, this, this deadline. If you haven't been paying attention, they pretty much traded for everybody. Um, they are full in. Mitch Moreland solves a lot of problems for them as a backup for a spaceman and as a DH who's going to play kind of a lot, uh, the way he's been hitting this year. And then both of these guys are Rule 5 eligible um, this upcoming offseason. And for a team with the amount of talent, young talent, that the Padres have, uh, they were in a bit of a roster crunch. So they would have had to make some choices on these guys anyhow. Yeah. And it's it's fun to think about the uh, what the future outfield of Verdugo, Duran, and Rosario could be. Could definitely be like a new look version of that 2018 outfield. Yeah, and, and I, I think those two guys are probably projected next year to start at double A. Um, so there's still a little bit of development there. But yeah, it's certainly interesting to to think about what the future could be for those two players. And a, a great get for Mitch Moreland. And surprisingly, I think the thing I was most surprised about is that Mitch Moreland got dealt by himself. I kind of thought he would be a second piece in a deal, not the headliner. So, you know, that, yeah. was, that was surprising to me. Yeah, I thought, like, he and Barnes were going to be tied at the hip. Yeah, me too. But 
Mitchie ended up having a pretty robust market. You know, maybe we had an opposite situation going on here with uh, a lot of people thought that the return that the Padres uh, sent to the Indians for Mike Clevenger was kind of light. And Mike Clevenger is kind of a shithead for some of the things that he's done. And Mitch Moreland is kind of the opposite, you know, known as a good guy. So is there a good guy tax? Maybe there is. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like they're, they're, they could be valuing that a little bit more. Um, all right. Brennan Workman, Heath Henry, we talked about this deal to the Phillies. That kind of wraps up the uh, deadline dealing here. Um, so after all of these deals that the Red Sox made, um, were there any deals that they didn't make that you were kind of surprised about? Anything left on the table that you think they might end up regretting or – or players in particular you thought they should have moved but didn't. Yeah, um, and we actually got a lot of questions about these two guys, but I don't know how JBJ didn't end up in Cleveland, so one way or another for anything. Um, and now I, I mean, I'm not expecting the Red Sox to make him an offer, so I feel like he's gonna he's just riding out the rest of this year. So I'm shocked that he wasn't moved. And then I mentioned Matt Barnes already. Was surprised that he didn't move, but I wonder if that was intentional. Um, Barnes, I believe, still has one more year left and is not having a Matt Barnes year at all. Like, strikeouts are way down, walks are way up. I mean, he struggled with walks already, but a lot of it was contained with his ability to get a strikeout, which is just, like, gone. And it feels like he would – I mean, I mean – Obviously, the whatever value was being offered, if any, was not enough to pull the trigger now. But if a year, well, I guess it's not a year from now because trade deadline is much later in the year. The trade deadline next year, if he's back to having a first half of like a 15K per nine and a three and a half walk per nine, um, looking a lot more for him, even with just half a season on left on his deal, than they would have dealing him now having like a shit year because stock is way down so i wonder if that wasn't intentional but the jbj one baffles me i'm shocked that he was unmoved yeah um so yeah let's talk about jbj first i agree with you keaton i was surprised jbj wasn't moved um and we did get a couple of questions about it i'll just mention the questions that we did get um jacob cordero says why wasn't jackie bradley jr moved even for a fringe prospect doesn't make much sense to me to keep a defensive outfielder who is a free agent at the end of the season when you aren't contending and then uh, another one from e- ewan clark that said uh why weren't jbj and barnes moved um so yeah let's address those two right now i agree with you that it was strange that Jackie wasn't moved um, at this deadline. But so it kind of made a little bit more sense to me when I started seeing the reports that were coming out after the trade deadline ended when they have a spot in their outfield and everybody was speculating, well, does this mean Jaron Duran is coming up? And all of the reports were that Jaron Duran will not be up at any point this year. And I guess the point of keeping JBJ for the last month of this season is sort of twofold. One, he gets to play out the rest of the year so you don't have to play a young guy like Jaron Duran or play uh, somebody like Siwei Lin full-time um, in the outfield. And and then the other piece is that Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, was making – 
11 million dollars this year and even prorated it was probably whatever it was was probably more than a lot of teams wanted to pay for a month of jbj um so i kind of think those two things taken together are my impression of why he wasn't traded but i still remain surprised that he wasn't moved yeah the financial piece is a big thing because i think it's like three and a half million prorated which is actually kind of a lot yeah. Given the prorated salary. So that, well, like I said, then it would be prorated again to half. It'd be like a million and a half. Yeah. But still, at that point, paying a million and a half for a defense first outfielder who you would be playing, I mean, at most three innings a game for your contender, probably not really wanting to spend your money. Now, do you think any of the JBJ stuff, if if maybe they didn't care so much about the money because it was only a million and a half, maybe, like let's just say I'm wrong about the money. And I'm also wrong about them not wanting to play the young guys and wanting to keep Jackie for that reason. Let's just say they were totally okay with running Lynn out there every day in the field or something crazy like that. Um, Do you think any of it could have to do with the optics of what has happened with the team over the last week? Because over the last week we saw uh, a few teams – um, decide not to play games, and the Red Sox were one of those teams, um, you know, protesting uh, what's going on in the country in regards to how African Americans are being treated, and it, it seemed like there were a bunch of people on the team, uh, specifically uh, Ryan Brazier and Kevin Pillar, that didn't seem super bought into supporting these types of things, and maybe optically it would have been bad for the Red Sox to trade Jackie Bradley Jr. after he was just pretty outspoken about this stuff. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, the Red Sox as an organization have a pretty bad history with race. However, credit where credit is due, this ownership group um, has actually kind of really tried to change the narrative of, of the Red Sox organization with that. They've tried three times to change the name of Yaki Way. Um, the first time was immediately after they bought the team, uh, and again in 2008, and then finally were just very recently successful with that. Um, they immediately came out with statements in support of players who have experienced racism at Fenway Park uh, and worked hard to denounce those fans and show Fenway as a place of inclusion and not exclusion. So it wouldn't shock me if that was part of it, because they this ownership group has actually shown that they care about these issues, um, including with Black Lives Matters, billboards and banners all throughout the park. Um, So it it wouldn't shock me at all if that was also part of it, if they weren't really inclined to deal the only black player on the team. Um, I guess, like, from a strategy perspective and where the team is, um, it probably made more sense to deal them. And if if that had any sense in in the matter at all, it was probably small. Um, but it's hard to ignore the optics of that given in the time that we're in right now here in 2020. Yeah, I think that's well said. And, and, uh, you know, I'm happy that they didn't deal them honestly, because, um, JBJ defense is one of the reasons to continue to tune into games. And I think it was just yesterday that you know, he made a play where he saved two runs in in the game that, could have, you know, immediately turned into a blowout. And I'm saying yesterday as I'm recording this on a Monday, so on Sunday night's or Sunday's game. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, watching him make spectacular plays is, is definitely one of the reasons to tune in. And especially if you believe that Bloom is trying to change the culture of the team around here to, um, you know, guys that are more bought into being good teammates and things like that, that I think that Jackie is definitely a guy who you want around for as much time as possible. And he had some pretty strong language um, today. Actually, when, when Bloom was asked about why Jackie Bradley wasn't moved, Bloom said, we love Jackie. We'd love him to be here for a long time. Um, and it, it said, over time, the Red Sox hope to uh, accumulating more players who fit that description um, and, you know, talking about leadership and, and stuff like that. And that was from Alex Spears' article today um, after the deadline. I mean, how much of Jackie Bradley as a leader and, and kind of the personality traits that he's shown – do you think made Bloom want to keep him? Probably a lot. I mean, he's a great leader for this team in clubhouse presence. I believe he was the one that started the wind dance repeat mm. in uh, 2017 or like the poses. And then it turned into a wind dance repeat 2018 in that run. So um, he's clearly a great clubhouse, clubhouse guy along with a great fielder. Um, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't mind having him on the team. Um, I know I've been pretty critical of him the past couple couple years but for the the money that he's making and that he's a defensive first i don't know about playing every day but keeping mm-hmm. him here in the organization it's only a positive thing sure yeah yeah i would um i would be interested in the red sox even potentially bringing him back next year as the everyday center fielder if they didn't think that jaron duran was ready for a full-time role and maybe they wanted to ease him in as the fourth outfielder and somebody who gets time in multiple outfield positions next year. Um, I I think being that he is not arbitration eligible, he's a, he's a true free agent next year. If Jackie were interested in coming back on like a low money one to two year deal, something like what Mitch Moreland signed last year with an option, I'd be totally uh, happy to have him as part of this club going forward. Yeah, I totally agree for sure. Yeah. Um, Matt Barnes, though, this is a a different one, and I've been pretty critical of Matt Barnes uh, over the last few years. Um, You know, certainly critical compared to Matt, who loves Matt Barnes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I I think that's fair, but there was an interesting line from the same Alex Spear article, um, and and Spear, who was very plugged in with, you know, the team and and other evaluators, he had a line that said, Barnes seemed like a strong candidate to be moved as a reliever who wouldn't be eligible for free agency until the 2021 season. But according to multiple evaluators, the market for his services was modest and dampened by his uneven performance, including increased walk rate, decreased velocity, strikeout rate uh, in 2020. And these are, you know, extremely valid concerns, Keaton. We've talked about these concerns with Matt Barnes Um you know, over the last two years that we've been podcasting together uh, on this show. But Matt Barnes's concerns are very real. Um, and I think in 2018 and 2019, it was a little bit easier to look past his inconsistencies because the strikeout rate was, you know, 14 in 2018, 14 per nine, 15 and a half almost in 2019. But the walks have been the things that have plagued him. Um, almost five per nine in 2018, over five per nine in 2019, and then this year it's almost up to seven per nine 
Um, and he's never really had a, a stellar ERA um, because he can't keep the home runs and the walks under control. So even in years when this guy is striking out near 100 guys or, or over 100 guys and has a great workload, um, his, his performance on the field has still left a little bit to be desired. And, and just to be fair to Barnes, Last year when Matt and I were doing the Locked on Red Sox podcast in, in 2019 and when we were like recording every day, one of the things we noticed is Matt Barnes's usage patterns were insane. I mean, he was getting used in every high leverage situation, which is a, a recipe for a guy to fail. So maybe last year if he was used properly, he could have had a good year. But the bottom line is that Matt Barnes has by and large disappointed us based on what he looks like he could be every single season. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last three years, the, it's a steady increase in his walk per nine and his home run per nine. So not only uh, is he just issuing free passes, but he also is giving up a crap ton of homers, which is not a good recipe for success. I mean, it was tempered to a point in 2018, 2019 because of how high the strikeout rate was. He was kind of able to limit the damage. But when he's not essentially striking out two out of three guys, he's struggling pretty mightily. Yeah, and, and if and if you look at his total package of work since he became a full time reliever, twenty sixteen until twenty twenty, what he's done, he's got a three point nine two ERA, um, strikes out over twelve guys per nine, and walks almost four and a half, a little over four and a half per nine, uh, over that time span. So, I mean, that's an okay reliever, um, but that is not somebody who a team should go out and break the bank for. You know, if you're looking for that lockdown guy or that piece who's going to put you over the top, I'm just trying to put myself in other teams' shoes. You know, if I'm the the Twins or the Astros or something like that and I need that guy, I don't think Matt Barnes is that guy. So I guess I'm not surprised that his market was not very robust. No, and I think the Red Sox would get something, I don't know about significant, but interesting from him if he can roll back the walks which at this point seems like quite a long shot to like four and a half and get back to that 15k per nine it's he's gonna look way more enticing than what he's doing now because it i mean it's almost to the point where he's walking as many as he's striking out and he's being used frequently (laughs) that's not a great recipe for success I think that's the biggest thing I'd like to see if he does make it with this team into 2021 and and ends up playing out his last year here is I'd like to see the Red Sox build a good enough bullpen where he is not always the guy that they're going to in high leverage situations. I'd like to see him be used much more sparingly than he has been over the last few years and see if that helps him be any more sharp in those situations. The starting pitching is the biggest need going into 2021, but the bullpen still needs to be addressed because they really haven't addressed it in now three years, essentially. Yeah. Um, do you think that with a couple more pieces so that Barnes doesn't have to be used as frequently that he can settle in and kind of – or do you, do you even expect the Red Sox to address the bullpen in any matter of terms for 2021? 
I think they will make some fringy signings in the bullpen um, and maybe some failed starters um, and maybe target some guys in trade. I think this is something I'm getting the sense that this is something that Heimblum is really good at is building a bullpen inexpensively. And as we've seen with Tampa Bay over the last, you know, 10 years that they've been operating, really, um, they've been excellent at building bullpens extremely cheaply, and they seem to be able to identify these guys. And I think we've already seen a bit of that with him getting a return for Osage, who he claimed. Um, Austin Bryce has been okay, you know, maybe even good at times. And, and Phillips Valdez has been amazing. So, I kind of expect Heimblum to not donate resources, but donate a lot of time in in scouting to to building a bullpen. I would love to have a bullpen like the Rays. Have every guy throw a hundred with an above average secondary. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty nice. I think that'll take a couple of years, but I, I <laughs> yeah. do think it is like something that is attainable with Bloom at the top. I hope so. So I'd love to not have to talk about it anymore, or at least for like a year <laughs> would be nice would yeah. be really nice um the other guy who was talked about being traded quite a bit um and it seemed to me that this was the one that had the most traction at least because i kept seeing it pop up in reports but it was christian vasquez who ended up not being traded the mets kept talking about him and the mets ended up with robinson chirinos um but according to Alex Spear, um, the Sox were listening to proposals on him, but, you know, one evaluator characterized the ask by the Sox as silly, um, considering we've talked about him as a top five catcher in baseball and somebody who's got an affordable contract through the 2022 season. I'm not surprised that the Red Sox ask for Vasquez was high, and I think it should have been, and I'm happy that they didn't settle here for just any return. Yeah. Excuse me. I completely agree with that. Um, I kind of thought that it was it might happen at the wire too because the at least with the Mets it seemed like there was some traction. Apparently the Red Sox were I don't know what scouting looks like here in 2020, but however it's being done, they were doing it to their the Mets farm system. So uh, that seemed like it actually had some legs to it. But I'm not surprised that there was a high ask. I mean, his salary is so stupid cheap. And for his value at the position, like we said, as a top five, I'm sure nobody wants to pay that price. No. No, I don't think so. And, and for an organization like the Red Sox, who needs veterans in the clubhouse and also has nothing coming up at, at catcher, aside from like Colton Wong, um, you really need Vasquez. You need to be blown away in order to give a guy like that up. A um, couple more quotes from Bloom that I thought were interesting before we wrap up these moves. He said, the big picture goal here was to make sure that we we're setting ourselves up to win consistently. Uh, obviously, this summer has shown we're certainly not there right now. And I think with everything we are able to do, we feel like we've taken steps toward that. We still have a ways to go. We've added more contributors, and I think we can start to form our next core. So Bloom is obviously doing the things that he's supposed to do. I think he traded a lot of the guys that we were hoping that he would trade, and he didn't trade, I think more importantly, he didn't panic and trade any of the 
key guys on this team, the guys who are worth a lot, the Vasquez's of the world. Um, and he certainly didn't look at touching Alex Verdugo uh, and Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts. So to me, that was even a bigger story than who they did trade. Yeah, it's interesting that he says they seem like they're well-positioned because I don't know if they really got anybody that I expect to be on the team next year. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it's tough because we don't know who the players to be named later are. Um, and probably Seabold is not going to be quite ready to, to be a starter next year. Maybe Pavetta could be a bullpen piece or or start the year as a fifth starter for this club next year. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, but I do think that one of the things that, that he said is that they're, they're kind of setting themselves up uh, to be in a good position. And one of the things that you know they're going to have to do to do that is reset the luxury tax. And as of today... They have successfully done that, which is going to allow them to spend aggressively uh, in the offseason if they would like to. Yeah, it just it doesn't. It's not a great free agent class, no. Which is kind of the bummer of it, I guess. But I mean, I, I kind of expect twenty twenty one not to. I mean, I guess I, I, they they could make a splash. The Bauer thing is confusing to me because I know we talked about this before, but uh, we got a Twitter question a couple weeks ago that like Bauer says he wants to just sign like one year deals. And you thought that made more sense for the Red Sox. I don't know if that makes sense for 2021 though. Cause I don't know how much of a difference. I mean, it's going to be until like the all-star break, probably until Chris sale comes back. Erod should be healthy, but the pitching still needs so much more. It just the starters and the bullpen. Like, I don't know if I would pay him just to be here for a year that, I didn't realistically think that they could compete for. Um, if he does do that, 2022 makes way more sense. Yeah. And the, the overall free agent class in 2022 makes a lot more sense. So I would hope that uh, 2021 is kind of similar to now, where you're kind of making some fringe roster moves to shore up like who your fourth outfielder is, who your utility guy on the infield is, figure out what you actually have in Dalbuck and Chavis. Uh, and then start to move forward more aggressively in 2022 with a much better, more, I guess, robust, say, free agent class. Uh, and then hopefully JBJ, or not JB, um, JD Martinez on his last year. But what do you think? Do you think the way that the Red Sox are positioned right now, it's more or less likely for JD to opt in? Um, I think being that the market is still expected to be down, I do think that JB. J.D. Martinez is going to opt in to his contract, especially because he hasn't played particularly well this year. I think that that's going to be more of a factor than anything. I'm pretty confident that he won't get um, more on the open market uh, than what he's going to get next year and the year after, which is $19.35 million. I, I can't see him making that. What do you think? Well, I think it's interesting um... – so if he rides that out the last um, two years out here, he'll be a free agent again at 35, where if he opts out now at 33, maybe he could get a three-, four-year deal that nets him more money than um, the 40 he's left and then whatever would happen in free agency at 35. Uh, but, I mean, I thought this trade deadline was going to be a dud, and I was 
wholeheartedly wrong on that assumption. So uh, maybe the market, free agent market, isn't as down as we think, and maybe he can cash in and get like a four-year, $17 million deal from someone, and then that's a lot more enticing now than it would be to play the last two years out with Boston. I don't know. I think I'm more on the fence now than I was. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I hope uh, that he opts out. Uh, I think that that would actually be better for the Red Sox um, because I kind of agree with you that 2021 is looking like it's going to be more of a transitional year. I don't think that it's going to be as transitional as this year was. Um, This year, obviously, kind of everything that could have happened negatively uh, happened to the team in terms of having almost no starters and, you know, all these other crazy things that have happened. But if you get him to opt out and he, you don't realistically think is going to be part of the next good Red Sox team, and I think there's a lot of reason to believe that he's not going to be, um, that gives you even more money to play with to address two things in the offseason that I would look to address. First of all, I would look to address locking up Rafael Devers to a long-term deal, um, you know, buying out his arbitration years, getting him signed to a long-term contract. That would be my number one priority. My number two priority is to work with Xander Bogarts' representation to finalize a new long-term deal because his opt-out is upcoming in 2022. And I think you want to make sure that those two players are here with you uh, for the long haul. And then you also need to spend as part of that 2022 class. And I think if you take care of those two things this offseason heading into 2021, um, that puts you much more in in a better position to be in play for a lot of those guys who are going to be free agents after the 2021 season. Because like you said, 2020 is George Springer, Nick Castellanos, Trevor Bauer, Mike Miner, James Paxton, JT Realmuto, Robbie Ray. None of those guys other than like Bauer uh, is super interesting to the Red Sox. And if he only wants to sign one-year deals, like you said, that doesn't really make a ton of sense. But then the following year... You have players like Nolan Arenado, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Verlander, who might be too old by then, but still interesting. Max Scherzer, Zach Greinke, Noah Syndergaard, um, and then some really high-end relievers like Jansen, Knebel, Iglesias, Osuna. Um, a little bit more of an interesting class there, not to mention all of the short stops, but you know, hopefully with Bogarts, you're not worried about those guys. Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't hate, like, Lindor playing third. I don't know if that's really in his wheelhouse, though. I mean, his defense is nasty, so it probably would have been fine. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much more room to play around with the roster in 2022 than, than coming up in 2021. I'd kind of be surprised. I mean, if they do make a bit of a splash, I'd be surprised if it was, like, a long-term splash. kind of expect something bigger in 2022. And then, like you said, if J.D. Martinez opts out, um, then that's a solid chunk of money for them to play with again in 2022 for that free agent class rather than this one. Yeah, we did get a question uh, about that from Eric Herrera. He said if, if they were to make a splash, uh, if, if they were to splash the cash, as he put it, for a big free agent player, who would it be? And I think we both agree that it would be Trevor Bauer if they were going to do it this year, but that also Bauer only makes sense if he's signing a multi-year deal, 
right? If he's signing yep. for anything less than like three years, it's probably a dumb idea for the Red Sox. Yep. And given that, so he, he'll be 30? Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to sign a three-year deal at 30 to be a free agent again at 33. So it'd have to be like, like you said, it'd have to be longer than that. And if he's not interested in that, and he's only doing one-year deals, then it would make sense for 2021. Yeah, and I would be, I would be totally fine if the Sox go after him for like a five- or six-year deal. I, I think he's good, and he's been very healthy um, for a lot of that time. Um, but I just don't see it happening. I think the, the Red Sox are much more likely to do what I said before, look internally at their own guys. But also I think Bloom is going to be extremely active in the trade market this offseason. I hope so. It's always exciting. Yeah, it always is. Absolutely. Um, some fallout from these moves um, that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, Marco Hernandez ended up getting released. Um, he's a guy who the Red Sox got from the Cubs a long time ago for Felix Dubron, I believe. Um, bat first middle infielder, not a great defender. Uh, it looks like his time with the Red Sox is over, or at least might be over. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck has been recalled in, or added, I should say, and will play, it seems like, every day. Now, this situation is really interesting, Keaton, because it looks like Bobby Dahlbeck, who's a much better fit for first considering his size versus Chavis, is going to get some run pretty much every day at first base, while Chavis plays daily at second base, which is also great for him and his development, and Peraza plays left field until Benintendi comes back. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we've been saying for a few weeks now that we'd like to see that exact situation to finally get Dahlbeck up here and then see what he can do against Major League pitching. So the fact that he's going to get a lot of run here in the last month is exciting and should be fun to watch. Yeah, it really will be. Um, And and Bobby Dahlbeck uh, did hit a home run in his second uh, at-bat ever. Um, And he didn't even, like, fully get into that ball at all, and he still knocked it out of the park. So... He's going to be a really exciting guy to watch. I'm just really happy that they get a full, you know, last month of evaluation of Chavis and Bobby Dahlbeck. I do also get the sense, and I'm wondering what you think about this, that Jose Peraza um, looks like he could be potentially DFA'd when Benintendi comes back because based on how he's played in the fit with the roster going forward, I think he's clearly a non-tender candidate for this upcoming offseason. Yep, definitely agree. And uh, they would much rather, or, I mean, Jonathan Arouse is going to be that guy in the infield, so when you get Bogarts back, then there's not an outfield spot for him. There isn't an infield spot for him. Wouldn't be shocked. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. And and CJ Chatham, like, next year, if they want somebody to fill that role, can do that a lot cheaper, as can Jonathan Arouse. So it doesn't make a whole ton of sense for, for Peraza to be on the team next year. Nope. Um, other guys that were added, two relievers, Mike Kickham and Robinson Lair. Lair is particularly interesting because he throws 100. He just doesn't always know where it's going. He's also got a really good slider. Um, and then Yairo Munoz, who if you watch any National League Baseball, you will recall because he's played pretty much every position other than catcher and pitcher um, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so he's he's kind of an interesting guy in one 
who, if he plays well over the last month of the season, I would not be surprised if he ends up being a bench player for the Red Sox in 2021. No, he's got some speed, too. He can scoop. He could be that kind of utility infielder, pinch runner, late in the game kind of dude. I think I'd like that. You know, if if he ends up looking like he is in shape uh, and playing up to his potential, he's interesting. I am a little bit concerned about the character stuff with him, about him just kind of leaving uh, St. Louis Cardinals camp, if you haven't heard this story. Essentially what happened is he had an injury in spring training and they wanted him to get an MRI on his hamstring. And he was kind of annoyed about playing time. So he just got on a plane, hopped down to the Dominican Republic, and then they released him. So that's kind of troubling. Yep. But seems like he's been okay in a basically a non-role with the Red Sox this season. So maybe he's over it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I mean... He's also going to take into account his own self-interest. It's probably uh, a lot better to get paychecks than not get them. So. Yeah, true. True, true. Um, all right, two guys headed to the IL or who are on the IL. Nate Eovaldi is on the IL with a mild calf strain. Uh, that one kind of surprised me considering uh, I thought they would be shopping him pretty hard. And there was a weird rumor that we should probably address uh, about Nate Eovaldi. Did that rumor at all make any sense to you about Nate Eovaldi for Runed Odor coming from the Texas Rangers? They're both kind of bad contracts, but like, wouldn't you rather the bad contract who's a starting pitcher than the bad contract who's a fringy second baseman? Yeah, I don't know why you would just trade bad contracts for one another yeah unless the prospect that they were talking about coming back to the red sox was going to be a pretty substantial prospect coming back that one didn't make a ton of sense to me no i didn't even hear the only rumor that i heard or not well i guess it wasn't even rumor it's a comment that someone made on twitter uh i don't remember who it was um that like the rangers just wanted to get rid of odor so it was a chance where the red sox could take on his salary and get a nice prospect with him, and I didn't even, I didn't even see that the, I guess the return or whatever would have been Evaldi, but that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, and, and I can't think of a pitcher in the uh, Texas Rangers system right now that I'd be like over the moon uh, for the Red Sox to get. Even any of their top guys are kind of like fringy uh, in, in certain regards. So yeah, I don't, I'm happy they didn't do that. But Texas is a is a head scratcher of a franchise, mostly with their decision making. So, it doesn't exactly surprise me that they had this harebrained idea. Um, yeah. Darwinson Hernandez, though, is also on the IL with a sprained SC joint. Apparently, that's something in like your shoulder or chest. Uh, it sounds painful. Hopefully, he gets better <laughs> soon. I don't know if I've ever had a sprained SC joint. Have you, Keaton? Uh, nope, I don't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't know ankles. if I did. <laughs> yeah, I guess I wouldn't either. <laughs> guess I'd have to know what it is first to know if I did it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get on to some additional listener questions here before we get on out of here. Um, member of the Verdugo fan club says, Duran, uh, sometime next month, Ben Attendee, is he coming back soon? 
Um, we addressed Duran. He's not coming up this season, says team sources. Um, but Benintendi, he has not even started rehabbing yet from his injury. I get the sense that Benny is probably still many weeks away. I wouldn't be shocked if Benny doesn't come back this year. Here's what I, I mean. It's a weird year. They're not contending. What's the point? Just let them have an offseason, come back healthy, try to get next year. It's kind of what I think, too. Um, ben Jacobson says, do you think we should have done more at the deadline? I think we kind of hit on all of those key points, some of the things that we would have looked at, but I don't really get the sense that Bloom left anything on the table that was obvious. Nope. Same. I mean, I, we, we talked about JBJ and Barnes, um, but I'm not, I guess I'm not shocked that they're still here because Barnes is trash and JBJ is expensive. So it makes sense that they weren't moved. I would have liked to see see them moved, but uh, I get why they weren't. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, Jacob Cordero has a question that maybe is better for Matt because I didn't even know we had an apparel store. But he says, why did you get rid of your awesome apparel store before I could buy some, you monsters? Uh, did you know we had an apparel store at Over the Monster? Yep, I did. Wow. I haven't been paying attention to that, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, uh, they do like one-off bulk orders. So when they have, I think the most recent edition was a banner that said um, "Under the Luxury Tax 2020." Mm. So uh, they did the bulk order of the shirts, and then when they're gone, they're gone. So right. got to keep an eye out on that that merch store for what what drops. Maybe uh, what we can do, uh, Jake, is we can try and uh, let you guys know on the podcast when we've got some stuff in stock, uh, and then when we do, we will we will shout it out. Uh, Mike Teague has another question for us, regular listener. So thank you, Mike. He says, I was actually a little disappointed by the Sox lack of activity at the deadline. Uh, how did you feel? Do you think Bloom is being sincere when he says he hopes JBJ uh, stays in Boston for a long time? Sure. I wasn't disappointed. I, mean, I don't have any reason to believe he's not. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Keaton. I don't, I don't have any reason to believe he's not either. I wouldn't say I was disappointed at this deadline. Were you at the end? Like, I didn't get that feeling. No, because this wasn't a team that was really going to make a splash. Like, they didn't have an elite reliever on a team that was not... I guess the most elite reliever they had was Workman. Yeah. And so he got moved before the deadline. Um, they didn't really have... I mean, it was basically Workman and Moreland were, like, the two key pieces that could have been moved. I guess maybe Pilar, too, because I guess he... I mean, he's a major league regular. Well-ish. Has been. Um so, I mean, those aren't really exciting moves, but they were expected just given the makeup of the team and where their contracts were at. So, I mean, I feel like it met my expectations because I didn't expect them to, like, be in on Clevenger because that wouldn't have made any sense um, or really do anything that San Diego did um, or be on, in on guys like Lance Lynn or Robbie Ray. So, yeah, it's, it met my expectations. I wasn't expecting a splash, and that's what we got. Yeah, and I was just mostly really pumped that none of the core guys got involved in any trade rumors, which which made me feel like this deadline made me feel confident in Heimblum and um, his decision making. And the deals that he didn't make 
were just as indicative to me of the type of leadership that we can look for going forward as the deals that he did make. So I, I think he did a lot of things correctly. I don't think he's sincere about um, hoping that JBJ, you know, is here for like five or 10 years or something like that. But I do think that Bloom will absolutely entertain bringing JBJ back next year and for the next few years, like we talked about earlier on the podcast. And we just basically finished talking about Mookie trade rumors on every single podcast. I swear to God, if now we're going to talk about Bogart's trade rumors on every podcast, I might kill myself. (laughs) Well, don't do that because we we will not talk about them on this podcast. That is uh, for damn sure. I will. I've already addressed that via article. We're not doing it. Um, and and maybe Han Bloom read that one. So there we go. Uh, Scott Nadell says, of the Rule Five guys coming up this offseason, who gets added? Now, this is a really interesting question. Um, the Red Sox have a lot of Rule Five eligible guys, uh, as most teams do every year. Uh, Rule 5 draft, if you're not familiar with it, basically it requires you to add guys to the 40-man roster or else they can be selected in the Rule 5 draft by other teams and they have to remain on the team that selects them's 40-man roster um, and I believe even their active roster, um, their 26-man, for a certain period of time or they get returned uh, to this team. So it's basically to prevent hoarding Uh, talent on one team but we came to a agreement on this keaton uh of the how many people is this what is this seven seven guys that they will yeah add uh in the off season and we have decided that it will be uh jay groom tanner hauk brian mata hudson potts jason rosario and i should note those are two guys they just acquired from uh, Padres, Connor Siebold, who they acquired from the Phillies, and Connor Wong, who was acquired as part of the Mookie Betts deal uh, from the Dodgers. Uh, and I think that is an interesting point, uh, Keaton, that four of these Rule 5 guys are prospects that the Red Sox acquired just this year um, and have a pretty high talent level. So the Red Sox were able to kind of take advantage of really good farm systems, roster crunches with the Dodgers and um, the the Padres specifically. And then with Seabold, they were able to get a better prospect in Seabold, likely because of the Rule 5 issue with him too. Yeah, and I think this also kind of points to where the Red Sox are um, kind of with the roster for 2021 because, like you said, the only one of these names that we think might make an appearance next year, Connor Seabold, I mean, I guess... Tanner Houck, Brian Mata, yeah, could. But could. if you have seven guys on your 40-man that aren't going to make an appearance, then you're really limiting your 26-man roster when injuries or just call-ups, just the usable ebbs and flows of a roster, you're really limiting it a lot. So that's why I don't really expect 2021 to be a year where a lot happens for them because the roster, as a, as like look, looking forward with these rule fives, this just doesn't look like it's projected to be a competitive roster for, uh, I mean, I guess maybe if uh, with Erod and Sale back, maybe for like the expanded playoffs, but I don't think that's a sure thing for next year. Is it yet? Right? No, 
No, it's not a yeah. sure thing yet. And then you're right, Keaton. I mean, the math there, that's 33 guys between your 26 men and these seven players. Um, so, you know, you're looking at seven spots, seven kind of fungible spots um, uh, of guys that are going to be up and down next year. So, and I would think most of those would be really bad relievers. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. They could end up using some of these guys who they may protect in trades this offseason to maybe alleviate some of that uh, burden uh, heading into next year. Wouldn't surprise me. No. I guess Bobby Pointer, too, he might be a guy that gets added because, I mean, if they let some more of these guys go, he's had experience in the bullpen. He's not very good, but maybe he just gets added because he's that eighth reliever, seventh, eighth reliever. I believe they actually already uh... – Outright cut him, and no one wanted him. So that would shock me. <laughs> yeah, or maybe not. <laughs> well, I guess that doesn't shock me either. He's not very good. No, he's bad. Um, the only other guy I thought about for this list that I didn't mention is uh, Cutter Crawford, um, who is an interesting starting pitching prospect, but he's underwent Tommy John surgery this past year. Um, and then the other interesting guy is Edward Bizardo, but he was not protected this past year and did not get selected. So, uh, that, that kind of bodes well for them not protecting those two guys. Did uh, you know that Jerry Downs was a, uh, a minor leaguer for the Red Sox? I did. I did know that. I did not know that. I thought that was a typo on Jeter Downs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's Jeter's brother. I had to actually look up if that was a real person. <laughs> Two bros on the same org. Yeah. Um, CJ Roberts has our last question of the night. A very important one here. Uh, peanut butter, um, an excellent food. Uh, crunchy or creamy? Where are you with this, Keaton? I'm a creamy in a sandwich, but a crunchy on the snacks. Well, like like if I'm adding peanut butter to a snack, like putting some on top of an Oreo. I like, like a little crunchy oh. in there. Okay. Um... Oddly enough, I love peanut butter so much that I enjoy both uh, a tremendous amount, and I will readily switch between the two depending on my mood. So I am just pro peanut butter in general. Peanut connoisseur over there. Huh? Peanut connoisseur. Yeah, that's right, man. (laughs) Um, I'll even dabble with some almond butters, um, all sorts of stuff, man. I I love me some, some nut butters. Nice. All right. Yeah. All right. That does it for our show. We do hope you enjoyed this episode um, and hope you got some some something out of it as uh, the trade deadline has passed. Uh, and look for more updates for from us about this stuff as you know the the roster questions continue to sort themselves out uh, towards the end of this year. There's still a lot of reasons to watch this team, um, and you know point out a few of them. It's, Xander Bogarts, it's it's JBJ's defense. It's a lot of the guys that we've talked about. Bobby Dahlbeck developing as a young player. All sorts of things. Alex Verdugo's arm. Still a lot of reasons to tune in. The rotation not being one. Um, but, but Keaton and I will have you covered. Uh, Matt and I will be with you tomorrow as well. We've got another episode coming up of, of our Over the Monster podcast, which we finally named... Um, and, uh, Keaton and Shelly will be with you later in the week, um, for some, uh, previews of upcoming series. Um, Keaton, who do the Red Sox have coming up this week? They got a 
five-game series with the Blue Jays with a doubleheader on Friday after this set here with the Braves. Hmm, wow, five games. I love when they play Toronto. That is uh, one of my favorite teams to watch in the division, so I'm excited about that. It's kind of surprising because Toronto is like two games, maybe one game after tonight behind the Yankees. But the Red Sox have like owned them so far, which is so confusing. Yeah, we'll look to see if they can continue to own them with their brand new rotation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Keaton, are you working on anything right now? Putting oh, anything wait, out? Man. Blue Jays just added Robbie Ray and Jonathan VR. That's pretty significant. Yeah, not to mention Ross Stripling, too, and Tyron yeah. Walker. That is going to be really fun to watch them. Man, they could, dare I say, I mean, with the Yankees' injuries, they maybe pass them. Is that bold? Could See make some bold. moves. We'll see how it goes. All right. Um, yeah, I don't have anything coming up in the pipeline just now, but we will have a roundtable for you on Friday. And, uh, you know, I could surprise you with a piece before then. But uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure you rate and review us. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at DevJake, and you can follow Over the Monster account at, at OverTheMonster. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back with you next week. <laughs>